Three headings tonight. The nature of our battle. The armor we need for this battle. The power at hand in the midst of the battle. I've been talking a lot about living in a world of war today. And the first thing Paul tells us in this passage is that the Christian life is lived in a world where we are indeed at war. Look at verses 10 and 11 with me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And to verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. All of us are engaged in a battle. I know at a personal level, we've all got our own daily battles. Some of us are battling ill health. All of us are battling with our sin. Some of us are battling in relationships, whether at home or at work. But Paul wants us to know that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle as we seek to live out our Christian lives today. And our battle is not with flesh or blood. That is, honestly to say, our battle is not with each other. Our battle is not physical. Our battle is spiritual. It's against the cosmic powers, the authorities, and the darkness, and the spiritual forces of evil. The battle that we are engaged in is an unseen one. Do you realize that? You're in a battle where you can't see the enemy. We so easily forget that we're in a battle. But Paul will not let us forget. And neither will the Bible. From beginning to end, the Bible is unashamedly supernatural. It begins with a good God. It also introduces us to a real devil. There's a warfare. There in the garden, there is a promise that the good God will send his son to crush the evil one. Every book in the Bible makes it clear that there is a battle. Read the book of Job. Read the Gospels. Read the epistles. Read the end of the Bible. Read Revelation. Everywhere makes clear there is a spiritual realm and it is at war. Now, Paul's first century readers would not have struggled with this whole notion that there is a spiritual realm and there is a war going on because in Ephesus of the first century, although it was a, it was a great cosmopolitan city, it was a city of commerce, it was also a city known for the occult. It was a city known for superstition. And so most people had no issue in believing in the, in the, in the spiritual realm. But you know, the problem is we live in 21st century London. And accepting the spiritual realm, even for us, does, for us does pose a problem. You see, we, without 
been aware of it at times. We're constantly bombarded by our secular culture that we are secular people. That all that really matters is the physical and the tangible and the material. That's the worldview that dominates secular materialism. And, and, and so what that means is we keep God out of the public square. We, we, we keep God out of our lives. If you, if you want to do that thing in private, fine. But not in the culture at large. And whether we are aware of it or not, but the very worldview that dominates our culture is one of the ways that Satan is waging his war against us. Some of you have read C.S. Lewis' Screwtape Letters. You know, when it's about the conversation that Screwtape, this senior devil, has with a junior devil, Wormwood. And uh, the, the, the whole book is this senior devil is training up this junior devil with effective strategies so that the human beings that are entrusted to this junior devil, well, they'll be taken to the to damnation with them at the end. And in the conversations, there's a point where Screwtape writes to Wormwood. Here's how you can stop, one, stop someone from becoming a Christian in the first place. All you need to do is dull their minds to the fact that there is a spiritual realm. Encourage them, says Screwtape, to believe in the familiar. Especially when the unfamiliar is before their eyes. For they find it all but impossible to believe in the unfamiliar while the familiar is before their eyes. So keep pressing home on them the ordinariness of things. You know what Paul's doing here for us younger Christians? He's pressing home the reality of unfamiliar things. There is a spiritual realm. The heavenly places are at war. And they seek to attack us. And Paul in this gospel, he, he speaks about the mystery of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And, and, and we need to know these things. Although I, I, I have to confess that even myself, even as I've been studying this letter this week, there's so many things that I'm unfamiliar with. What does it even mean to be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms? Paul wants us to know, listen, Christian, you live in a world and there is a war and you're in the midst of that war and the enemy is after you. You're under attack. So what are you going to do? Now, it's really interesting if you, you read about the attack of Satan in, in, in these verses, he says that, he says that we, we need to learn how to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You know how Satan comes against us with schemes, strategies, plots. He also comes against us with fiery darts. Verse 16. I wonder, do you realize that? Every morning you wake up, do you, do you ever wake up and think, the evil one is scheming to have me this day. When you're at work, are you ever conscious that, you know, something, say, a colleague or a boss does or at university, it's a fiery dart from the evil one? You're under attack. 
It's so subtle, but every day, Satan is scheming and searing, is firing on all fronts against you and I. Ever wonder why you struggle to pray? Ever wonder why it is you find so many things way more interesting than reading your Bible? Ever wonder why it is that you find yourself being kept from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? Like you know you're supposed to pray, read the word, and share the gospel. Ever wondered why it's so difficult? Well, you've got an enemy, and he does not want you to do it. And so the first point is you need to know the nature of our battle. We are living in a battlefield. Which then raises the, the next question, well, well, how are we supposed to fight? <laughs> well, we need armor if we're going to fight. Look again at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is one of the most strange commands to be given. It could be better translated, be, be strengthened in the Lord. Let me tell you why it's, why it's one of the strangest commands to be given. This is a command that's in the imperative. You need to be strong. But it's in the passive voice. Meaning, you don't make yourself strong in the Lord. He makes you strong. He strengthens you. Be strong in the Lord. But remember, you don't do it. He does it. It's Paul saying to us, let something happen to you. Like, just think about this. How can we obey something that needs to be done to us? But that right there explains much of the Christian life. We're called to make the strength and the power of Jesus ours, but God has got to do it. Can I say something about this battle? As we go into this battle, it's not a, this is not a call tonight for you to have greater power in yourself. This is a call tonight for you and I to bow our heads, open our hearts, and receive strength from God. If you're going to fight, you need him to do it. I wonder, when, when you're struggling in your Christian life, is it to him you turn to be strengthened? I don't know you, but I know, I know my own heart. And sometimes when the tough gets going, spiritually speaking, I don't get going to the Lord. I turn to other things. I turn to myself. I think I can figure this out. Surely I can figure this out. Or, or other times it's, it's not to the Lord I turn. I think, you know where I'll go first? I'll go to Christian people. I'll go listen to someone else. Surely they'll have wisdom that I need. 
Here Paul says, if you're going to live the Christian life, the armor you need, you need the Lord to give you, you need the Lord to give you strength. Your source of strength in the tough times, in the rough seasons. It's not from yourself, it's not from others. It has to be first and foremost from the Lord. Now, now just to make it really clear, right? I chose in the order of service that we would sing right before the sermon, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Very deliberately, because that's what we need. We need to understand that the Christian life that we live, it's not, it's not us who live it, it's Christ who lives it in us and through us. Let, let, let me tell you something that I go through every weekend, right? Saturday night comes, and I'm tired and I'm exhausted because I've been studying and doing other things. And, and I think to myself nearly every Saturday night, I can't do it tomorrow. <laughs> I can't preach. I just cannot do it. I'm physically exhausted. A voice then whispers into my ear, you can't preach tomorrow. You're absolutely right. Your sermon's rubbish. <laughs> Quite literally. You've got to change this. You've got to start again. And, and, and then the voice whispers to me again, no, you really can't do it. How can you go preach tomorrow on the gospel of peace when you've just snapped at your children and had an argument with your wife? You can't preach. And I wake up on Sunday morning and I think to myself, how am I going to get to the end of this day? I've got two sermons to preach. I've just got to hold in my morning sermon, but I don't know my evening sermon. How, am I, how can I do this? So I get down on my knees and I say, God, forgive me. God, please help me. And I get to the end of this Sunday and I realize, yet yeah, not I. But Christ through me today preached. That's a Christian life. We can't do it. We are weak. We are inadequate. But that's the place where Christ delights to work. It's when we're weak, his strength is made perfect. It's because I'm a sinner that I need him, my savior. And it's because he is our glory savior that I can stand here and preach the amazing grace of Christ so that you can believe it because I need it just as much as you. One of the most amazing things about being weak, being pathetic, is that it actually drives us to Christ. But you need that self-awareness. You, you and I, we desperately need Christ. And, and, and the amazing thing about Christ is he loves to make good in his word. He loves to empower the weak. He loves to strengthen the weak. He loves to preach through his weak vessels so that he gets the glory. Yours is the good and mine is the joy. I didn't do it. He did it. So it's not our strength we go forward in, it's his strength. It's one of the most liberating truths to know that the Christian life is lived in borrowed strength. It's Jesus who clothes us. Now, now, so you're strengthened by Jesus, right? What do you think then 
You receive his strength. What do you think you'd think after this verse 11 would be the next command? Well, with the strength and the might of the Lord, now go forth and charge into battle. You're ready to go. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Say what? So you give us strength for the battle and you're saying, all you need to do is stand. All you need to do is stand firm. Now that does sound boring. Stand firm. Like, I want to be walking. I want to be doing something. Come on. No, no, no. You've you, you got to understand it. You've got to understand the battle tactics for this fight with the evil one. You stand firm. Let me illustrate it like this. So, so, so we've been watching this war play out in Ukraine and Russia, still going on. And, and if you think back to what happened, Russia invaded Ukraine, and very quickly, Russia started taking territories, cities all over the place. And, and, and then over time, Ukraine receiving strength and help and from the West and support from everywhere, Ukraine fought back. And, and, and wonderfully, Many a city that they lost, many a community, a region that they lost, they took back. And what was the strategy when they won back a place? Advance? No. Send in troops there to stay there. The victory's been won. We've got it. Stand firm. Don't move. It's ours. Root your feet solidly on the ground that is yours. Defend the position that's already been taken. Keep the guard. Defend it. And that's a, that's a picture of the Christian life. The, vic the battle's been won. Christ has won it. He's conquered. We don't go and pioneer new victories. He's, he's defeated the evil one. He's crushed Satan. He's taken the penalty and the punishment for our sin. He is seated far above all powers, rulers, and authorities, and we who are now united to him are seated with him. So what do we do? We stand firm in him. And as we stand firm in him, we're fully, fully prepared and fully equipped for all that is going to come. Look at verses 14 now. Look, look at the armor that we're to put on. He says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He says, you know what you need to do is you stand firm in the Lord, you just need to put the gospel on. All of it, put it on. You need to clothe yourself with Christ. So we wake up in the morning. We know, we know Satan's scheming. We know Satan's sending fiery darts. What do we do? We put on the gospel. We go in our workplaces and we, we know that there's spiritual warfare. We're under attack. What do we do? We preach the gospel. We stand firm. 
with the gospel. So, 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 so we've thought about the, the nature of the warfare, the nature of the battle. We, we've thought about the armor that we need here. It's here. It's a, it's a glorious gospel. But thirdly and finally, what else do we need to do? Now, now I want you to hear, as I read verses 18 to 20, how many times, using different words, the word prayer is mentioned. In the midst of the battle, we rely on the power that is at hand. Look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You know what Paul says? What else we need to do in the midst of this battle? This is, not an obs- this is not an optional extra. We need to pray, 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 pray. What do you need to do in the Christian life? You need to pray. That is, you need to depend on HQ. You need to depend on the commander-in-chief. You know, um. In the old days, when you went to war, you would have somebody in your your regiment and they'd have a big rucksack on their back with an aerial sticking out of it. It was the old walkie-talkie that connected you to HQ. In modern warfare, every single man in the regiment might have a headset. So they're connected to one another and so that at any given moment they can be speaking HQ and they need it if you're going to be at war you you need to know what HQ is commanding you to do and sometimes they've got the aerial view of the battlefield, they they know all that's going on they've got drones, they're watching and so so there's a war in Ukraine and Russia, many of the men who are out there at the front line they have got a direct line to head Waters. They, they, they get the knowledge, they get the wisdom, they get the resources when they need them. And do you know that we've got the exact same thing? We've got direct access in this war with the evil one through the gift that is prayer. At all times, anytime we can call upon the name of the Lord and he hears us and he answers us. And yet the tragic thing is, even in this warfare, we don't just clothe ourselves. We we sometimes forget that we're in a war. We sometimes forget to put the gospel armor on. And and worse than that, we forget the gift that is prayer. And I cannot speak to you how important this gift is. Prayer, as we read in the Westminster Catechism, is when we offer up our desires to God with things agreeable to his will. Prayer is, is, is our greatest privilege. It's our greatest gift. So this week, you, you might have something looming over you, something that makes you worried or nervous or anxious. You know what you can do right now? You can pray to the one who's in charge, the one who knows what's going to happen this week in your life, who's in control of everything. You can leave it with him. That's a gift you've got. You can tell him all about it. And he'll give you the strength that you need. And he'll go ahead of you, and he'll go before you, and he'll undertake. 
And, and, and you know, when it comes to this gift of prayer, we can pray for opportunities that we would be empowered to speak the gospel boldly and clearly. And God, he, he, he delights to, to do just that in our lives. There's many areas of the Christian life that I think we Christians make excuses, but I would say evangelism, the proclamation of the gospel is one of the areas that many of us are tempted to make excuses can do it, can do it. <laughs> no way, Jose, I cannot share the gospel with someone else. Oh, why not? Well, <laughs> I don't know what I'd say. I don't know the gospel well enough. I'm terrified if they ask me a question, it's really difficult and I don't know the answer. I, I can't do it. Like, I don't want to be viewed as a religious nut job in my work, so, so it's just better to just get on with my work. I can't do it. I know I'd say something wrong if I said anything, so I'll just keep it to myself. But there's other Christians far better than me. They can do it. I'm sorry. You can do it. Again, it's not you. It's he who does it in you through you. You're, you're, you're trusting in the wrong person. You're not trusting in the God who loves to do it in you and through you. And that is what Paul is here saying Please, would you pray for? Now, what I love about this is, is that Paul has said we're, we're part of the nation of God, the one new humanity. We're part of the family of God. We're part of the temple of God. And Jimmy says, is he's got this whole um, warfare mentality. He says, by the way, we're part of a regiment. So as we're, we're going out to the warfare, we're fighting. We're, we're not just lone rangers. We're, we're in this battle with others. And so as you pray, don't just pray for yourself. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. They need your prayers. Pray for your band of brothers and your band of sisters in Christ. Pray that they will be able to tap into the strength that God has given in this glorious mission that he's entrusted. So, so, so this week, going to the prayer meeting, it's one of the greatest things you can do because you're praying not for yourself, but you're praying for your family of faith, your brothers and sisters who need your prayers. But you don't just need to pray for your brothers and sisters. I love Paul in this last section. He says, and pray also for me. You know, the sign of a mature Christian isn't someone who says, I've got it all together. I don't need other people praying for me. The sign of a mature Christian is someone who says, pray for me. I need you to pray for me. Now, this is the greatest oxymoron you'll ever read in Scripture. Right, listen to this. Pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador. Here's the oxymoron. I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Here's what Paul says. Pray for me. I need to, I need, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, I need to proclaim the gospel. Pray for me as an ambassador in chains. Hold on a minute, Paul. Hold on a minute, Paul. You want us to pray for you, but you're not out in the mission field. You're in prison. Like, who are you going to share the gospel with that you need to, you need to say it boldly? You're in a prison cell. What, what are you on about? Well, Paul knows that him sitting there in that prison, boldly proclaiming the gospel, there's many ways you, you proclaim the gospel. You can write letters. 
And that's what he's done in this very letter in the, from this prison cell. In fact, it's so, the prayers of the saints were so powerfully answered that here we are, 2,000 years later, studying this letter to get encouragement from the gospel that Paul said, pray for me as I proclaim it. But, but, but the incredible thing is Paul saying, pray for me, I'm an ambassador, but I'm in chains. He might be bound, but do you know this? 2 Timothy chapter 2, the word of God is not bound. The word of God's not in chains. The gospel's not bound. No, 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 no. The gospel will go wherever God takes it. God's strategy for bringing the gospel to bear on this world is never your, your strategy or my strategy. His thoughts are way higher than our thoughts, greater than our thoughts. Do you know what God's strategy for taking the gospel forward is? Suffering. You know the seed of the churches that causes the church to flourish, as the early church fathers would say? The blood of the martyrs. You know, you know, you know Christianity powerfully spread through the Roman Empire. And there was a man that was mightily used for that to happen. His name was Paul. And he spent most of his time in chains to the Romans. How do you think it spread throughout the Roman Empire? The word of God's not bound. The gospel's not bound. The spirit of God's not bound. That's why you've got to pray. We can pray tonight for the church in North Korea and we can be guaranteed, it doesn't matter if the church is underground, as that gospel goes forth, whether it's on people listening to it in MP3 players or listening to it in radios or reading it in a little track that's been sent, the gospel's not bound. Pray for me that I may be able to proclaim the mystery of the gospel boldly. Man, prayer makes all the difference and prayer actually takes away all of our pathetic excuses. It's not us. It's him. Who are you trusting in? Who are you depending on? I'm too weak to do gospel ministry. I don't really know the gospel well enough. I'm struggling with too much sin in my life. Do you think any of those things, <laughs> any of those things will stop the gospel going forward? Don't kid yourself. The Savior, whose gospel this is, conquered the grave. He's won the war. And the question that you and I need to face is as we clothe ourselves with him and with his gospel, do we understand that his call to us is just stand, stand firm in him and allow the gospel of peace to go forward by the power of prayer. So let's do that right now, let's pray. Father, in our weakness and in our fragility and in our failings, we come to you. We ask that you would clothe us, even tonight, with your gospel. So that as we go into this week, we would be strengthened, equipped, and empowered to do that which you have called us to do. We thank you that your word is not bound. 
The gospel is not in chains and neither is your spirit. And that your gospel will go forth to the ends of the earth. And we thank you that one of your favorite ways of taking it forward is by using struggling, suffering saints who know who they are, where they are, what they have in Christ. We pray that we would be those who don't remain ignorant to those things that are unfamiliar to us, but we would be desperately keen to be familiar with the unfamiliar because we know, we know it is the hope and the life that our world desperately needs to hear. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.